3, we've been, been uh, in the book of Colossians. This is our fourth week. Excited to, to bring this passage to you. We'll be finishing up Colossians this week. This is our last, last series. So chapter 3, verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. Hold on one second. We've got to get this going here. Let's begin, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Let's close in prayer now. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) Makes a great point though, doesn't it? (laughs) You notice I had to ask where my wife was sitting earlier. (laughs) Uh, So homes families, workplaces, would you agree with me that these are some of the hardest places to act like a believer? We all struggle with it. It's just hard, just plain old hard. And, you know, I mean, if, if I didn't have to deal with other people, I could be such a good Christian, right? <laughs> but it's the truth. It's, it's really true, you know, and the Lord knew that. You know, even as you look back at the Old Testament, the the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments are about our relationship with the Lord. But the next six are about us and our relationship with our spouse, with our parents, with with our neighbors, with our society. It's amazing. The Lord knew how hard it would be. And in the New Testament, we come across the same things over and over repeated that the Lord wants to to have us integrate our home life completely with our faith in him. So we're going to look at Colossians today. And Colossians and Ephesians are sort of companion uh, manuals. They they complement one another. In fact, Ephesians has expanded what we will read in Colossians today. So while you're in Colossians, I'll have up on the the board behind me, we'll have Ephesians there as well. So we can look at both and understand what the Lord's teaching is as we come into this. So we're going to begin with uh, verse 17 of Colossians. Now, in some of your Bibles, right after verse 17, there's a heading. I just want to remind you that that heading was not in the scriptures. That heading was added by an editor, and that's there to help you find your place in the Bible. But what happens is sometimes we read from heading to heading and we don't actually connect the two parts. But both in Colossians and in Ephesians, I would say that the heading is often in the wrong place. So let's begin with 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you say that with me? Let's read it together. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Sorry, I added a word there. I saw that. I took one out in the previous time I read it too. I don't know if you noticed. Did you catch this? Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all, everything, everything we do, should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what does this look like? Well, 
I can pray in the name of Jesus, right? Pray in Jesus' name. Going to church in Jesus' name. Giving to the Lord's work in Jesus' name. Those are easy, right? Check, check, check. I can do that. I get that. I understand that. Mowing my lawn in Jesus' name. Yes, absolutely, because our faith is not separate from the rest of our lives. Our faith is integrated into everything we do. Picking up the kids from school in Jesus' name. Eating breakfast in Jesus' name. Taking, uh, talking at the water cooler in Jesus' name. Doing homework in Jesus' name. Yes, all of those. We can do that. Disrespecting your wife in Jesus' name. Complaining about your husband in Jesus' name. Inappropriately surfing the internet in Jesus' name. Gossiping in Jesus' name. Holding on to bitterness in Jesus' name. Not reporting everything on your taxes in Jesus' name. Ignoring someone's need in Jesus' name. Now that doesn't sound right, does it? Right? No, you see, this in Jesus' name thing is this big umbrella that's supposed to encompass all of our lives. And Paul says, everything that you and I do and say should fit under this umbrella. The problem is that we step out from that, don't we? When we gossip or complain or do these other things, we step out from this beautiful umbrella that the Lord has set up for us to do everything in Jesus' name. See, every choice I make fits either here or out there somewhere. And you and I have choices all the time to come under that umbrella, to do everything in Jesus' name. Because there's nothing that we do that is not spiritual. Everything we do, every decision we make is a spiritual decision. And Jesus is saying it needs to fall under this in Jesus' name umbrella. So what this means is that everything we do aligns with God's will. Because if it's not aligned with him, with his will, with his word, it doesn't fit under that beautiful umbrella. It must bring glory to God, right? If I am doing all of those things in Jesus' name, that brings glory to God. He is lifted up. So somebody looks at me and says, that person's acting like Jesus. But when I step out of that umbrella, I'm no longer in that. So when I'm gossiping, I'm not speaking in Jesus' name. When I'm complaining about my wife, I'm not speaking in Jesus' name. And people don't see Jesus as we do those things. So this instruction needs to be fleshed out. What exactly does it look like? And the Apostle Paul, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is going to guide us in this. And I think it's interesting because there are many things he could say as he applies this umbrella to our homes. He could say, husbands, in order to do everything in Jesus' name, you need to make enough money to make sure that your family is well-supported. That's an important task, but he doesn't say that. You're gonna look at what he says. He could say, wives, you need to be the best cooks you can be so that you fill your husband's belly and make him as happy as he can be, but that's not the important thing here. So let's take a look and see what Jesus says first to wives. Wives, 
Submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Ephesians, in the parallel passage, says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So again, we have an umbrella phrase, don't we? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is what it's gonna look like. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Ah, submission. Nobody likes to talk about it. I've seen, I've seen some pretty strange views on this. Okay, one that I think can be helpful is the 49%, 51% thing. If a husband and wife disagree, you go with the husband because he gets 51% of the vote, the wife only gets 49 I wish it were so simple. Is it really that simple in anybody's life? No, it's not. It's not. In my big fat Greek wedding, the mom says, he may be the head, but I'm the neck. And the head only goes where the neck points it. <laughs> That's a view. <laughs> Many people view, and commentators even, will view the Apostle Paul's writing here as chauvinistic and accuse the Apostle Paul of being an arrogant chauvinist. I have seen and I have known women who have endured physical abuse in name of submission. They think it's their Christian duty to endure whatever physical or emotional abuse their husbands give. There are many commentators who say that this writing is no longer applicable because it was written in a patriarchal society, which we are no longer a patriarchal society, so we can just ignore this. But first, let me say that everything that we read in the Bible, there is nothing that we should not apply to our current culture. Yes, this was a different culture, but what we read in the scripture are principles that are timeless and apply to every culture, to every century. And so where we live today, we still have to face this teaching. Say, Lord, what does it mean for us? How do we do this in our society today? So let me point out, first of all, that this is not saying women must submit to men, right? Women are not less than men. Women are not weaker, less smart, less clever, less spiritual. There is nothing in this that says women should submit to men. That's why it's okay to have women in office. That's why there are many women in office. And we can actually vote for them, okay? This is talking about the home. You see, the Lord says within the home, there needs to be an order, and there's a reason for that. Think about this. If you're on the battlefield and nobody is in charge, what do you have? Chaos. So the Lord says in the home, in society, in the church, you need order. And he has set up the husband to be the head of that order. He is the authority of that order. And the rest are to come under that authority. So what does that mean? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, okay? It's a, it's a home thing. To submit yourself means to willingly 
put yourself under authority. Women, you have a choice in that. But the choice that fits under this umbrella, the umbrella of glorifying the Lord and living in his name, is that you submit to your husbands, that you willingly put yourself under his authority. That's hard to take sometimes, isn't it? Now I wanna say here that it never means that if your husband asks you to do something against God's will or against his word, you should not submit to that. It should mean that, you do not submit to that. If your husband were to ask you to do something that would make you have to tolerate abuse, it should not be that. If your husband were to ask you to do something that would be embarrassing or cause you to lose your dignity, you do not submit to that. See, this idea of submission is on the premise of what God is about to teach us. See, what he's going to teach us here is that your marriage is a reflection of his love for the church. So when when a husband and wife are together and in marriage and they're doing what they're supposed to do, it's actually a witness to the world. It's a witness, it says to the world, God loves the church. Jesus died for the church. The church follows Christ. At the end of this section, which I don't have up here, Paul goes through what wives are supposed to do, what husbands are supposed to do, and he says, this is a mystery, but I'm not talking about marriage, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Marriage is about displaying to the world who Christ is. Wives, when you willingly come under the authority of your husband, you are showing the world how Christ is to follow the church. Now, that's a hard teaching. That's a very hard teaching. I wanna say that, and I'm gonna give you an example. I'll bring up my wife yet one more time, okay? My wife is a beautiful, submissive woman. I know few women who submit like she does, but she does not let me get away with anything. (laughs) I am serious, I am serious. If I speak a harsh word, she doesn't just take it, she calls me out on it. But honey, I'm Italian, I'm allowed to say what I want, aren't I? No. If you're gonna lead me, you're gonna lead me right so I can follow you. If I get lazy in my leadership and and don't train her or teach her or speak scripture to her, she says, if you want me to follow you, you better lead because you're not giving me anything to follow. I need you, she says to me, I need you to speak the word to me that I can follow your good leadership, John. If I... If I, I, I'm not a verbal communicator. I, uh, no, I am a verbal, I'm not a verbal processor, okay? Denise is a verbal processor. Thinking through her emotions and talking and talking and all that good stuff, and she'll say, what do you feel about it? I'll say, I don't know, give me three weeks, I'll let you know. <laughs> I, I can't figure it out. But she doesn't let me get away with not communicating. It's very often she'll say, you know, it's been three or four days that you and I have actually sat down and talked and looked into one of the other's eyes. You know? She doesn't let me get away with sloppiness in our marriage. If you want me to follow you, 
then be the leader you're supposed to be. So husbands, let's look at what that's supposed to be. The Apostle Paul reminds us, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Paul tells us how husbands are supposed to live. We are to love our wives in order to come under that umbrella of honoring God's name in everything. We are to love our wives, and the word love here is the sacrificial love, agape, just as Christ agape loved the church. And how did he do that, man? What does it say? He gave himself up. You can read, men. You can do this. Gave himself up for her. Paul tells us in Philippians, he says that he made himself nothing for you. He took on the very form of a servant for you. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death for you. You see, we all want good Christian women, but husbands, you will make it much easier for your good Christian women to submit to you if you would be willing to put aside your will just like Jesus did. If you would be willing to say to your desires, no, not now. This must wait because I'm putting her first. You must be willing to take your demands and say, I will will relinquish those demands in her best interest. And you must be willing to submit your interests to her, to say, you know what, I'm interested in all these things, but in order to make her first, in order to build her up, I will put my interests aside and give her the time that she deserves. Now you've made it easier for her to submit to your leadership. I I remember learning this one thing. You know, I've always had jobs. Uh, I I didn't get into ministry until I was 40 years old. But before that, I always had jobs that were very people-oriented, with people all day long. I would drive home, be exhausted. I'd go, go home and expect my family to take over the job and minister to me, the king. Please, I've given all day long. I have nothing left. Children, obey. Wife, submit. Do what you're supposed to do. I remember being so convicted by my attitude about that. And I began praying on my way home, Lord, I have nothing left. Give me something that I could be a minister to my family so that when I walk in and my wife's eyes are spirals because she's been with the kids all day and the kids are out of control and there's stuff all over, that I can say, what do you need me to do? Where can I pick up? How can I help? Because you see, that's just one small example of saying, I'm not as important as I think I am. And my job as a leader is to give myself up for the benefit of those who are underneath my leadership. Biblical mutual submission is what we are called to do, submit to one another as to Christ. So I'm going to show you what I, I give to all, all premarriage counseling. Anybody pre, who does premarriage counseling with me gets this. And Greg mocks me because he says I look like, like Miyagi on Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> all right. But here it is. Here's the wife. Here's the husband, right? The wife says, I'll obey the Lord 
and sit, submit to my husband as I'm supposed to submit to Christ and I'll come under his authority and help him to be the man he's supposed to be. The husband says, I must love my wife and give myself up for her benefit, to wash her in the word, to make her holy and blameless and help her to be the woman she's supposed to be in Christ. She says, my husband is so sacrificial, it, he makes it easy for me to come under his authority and encourage him to be the leader he is supposed to be. He says, my wife is such a good follower, it's nothing for me to give up my, my will, my desires, my interests, my demands, and put them beneath her well-being. Brothers and sisters, when we do that in our homes, the world looks and drops their jaw and says, is that what we're supposed to do? And is that how Christ loves the church and the church follows Christ? That's our calling. That's what we are called to do. Your marriage is so much bigger than just two people coming together trying to make it work. Okay, I want to just come back to that 49-51% thing. Let's just say there's a decision, right? Um, and guy wants a pink kitchen, the girl wants a blue kitchen, right? You're arguing for a week about it, you can't decide what to do. And instead of compromising and say you'll do a purple kitchen, the wife says, I'll submit and let you pick whatever color you want. Now, ah, husband, yes! I will exert my 51% and take the pink kitchen. How much better would it be to say, now I'll give myself up. For my wife's pleasure, can I live with a blue kitchen? Yeah, I can live with a blue kitchen. And I'm gonna give myself up for her and let her enjoy that. Because once you start to spoil one another, your marriage will change. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Oh, we have to move on. This could be a, a week-long seminar, right? Marriage? Yeah. Believe me, I didn't say very much at all, and I'm sure I'm leaving you with more questions than answers. But the passage moves on. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The companion passage in Ephesians says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Children, you want it to go well with you? You want a life to be good to you? Obey your parents. They love you, they care about you, they have their best in, your, your best in, as their first priority. Obey them. And teens, I hate to tell you this, but the original word here in the Greek for children includes you. It's not just kids, it's teens. Teens, you want it to go well with you? You want to please the Lord? Obey your parents. You see, women have the choice as to whether or not they will submit. But you don't. You are under the authority already. And so how are you going to be under that authority and give praise to Jesus and do it in his name? You obey. Now it doesn't mean blind obedience. It doesn't mean you can't discuss it. It doesn't mean you can't talk about things with your parents, give them other options, help them see your viewpoint. That's all important. You must do that. And parents, you must allow them to do that. But obedience comes with a promise. It comes with a promise 
that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life. We can't ignore that promise. But parents, you and I have a responsibility to make their obedience as easy as possible. And Paul helps us with that. He says, fathers, now this word, fathers, can be translated as dads or it can also be translated as parents. Okay, it can go either way. Parents, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. So how do we do that? I have a few things that Denise and I learned that I just want to share with you. First is be proactive in your instruction. It is so easy to frustrate our kids by being reactive, right? You know how it is. You're here at church. Suddenly, your kid starts running in church. Hey, Junior, stop running in church. I told you not to run in church. Right? We frustrate them because they're in the middle of having fun. They don't understand why. You're frustrated because you're embarrassed and, and it's not good. How much better would it have been if as you're driving into the parking lot, you say, now, listen, Junior, when we get in there, there's going to be a lot of older people, some of whom use walkers and canes, and we don't want you to run around because in doing that, you could endanger them and they could actually get hurt. So please don't run when we get in church. Now, what did you just do? First of all, you were proactive. You did what the scripture said, which is to train your child, right? You're not reactive. You're training him ahead of time. You let him know that there's a reason for your rule and that that reason is that you are putting others first. And don't we want to teach our kids that all the time? Others first? We live in a society where kids think they're number one. They go through the line first. Everything they do, everything we do is about our kids. They need to learn how to let others be first. And you also taught them something else. What if there was a time when they had to run in church? What if there was an emergency and they needed to run? Wouldn't you want them to be able to make that decision? Well, they can do that if they know the reason behind why you told them not to run in the first place. And they can say, I'm not disobeying my parents to run in this instance. I'll move on, we gotta go. The point of conflict is rarely the best time to in, for instruction. So here's what I mean. Your, your child disobeys. You discipline them. They're angry. You're angry. Emotions are high. Not the best time to reach their heart. And isn't that what we want to do? We don't want to change behavior. We want to reach their heart and have their heart change their own behavior. Well, you're not going to reach their heart when emotions are flaring, right? You're going to reach their heart after things have settled down and you get the chance to talk to them and appeal to their sense of family belonging and of belonging to the family of Christ as well. Be consistent. Nothing frustrates or exasperates a child more than inconsistency. I, I have seen this where parents will, will scold a child, discipline a child for being out of control one day, and the next day they're laughing at the child because he's so cute while he's disobeying. Uh, how is a kid supposed to know what to do? Be consistent, be consistent. For us, it was three Ds that got discipline. Disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. My kids knew that in spite of how tired I was, in spite of how cheerful I was, in spite of how angry I was, they would be disciplined for those three things. 
I didn't have to wait till I got mad enough to discipline my kids. I, I could even not be mad at all, but just discipline my sons because they did disobedience, dishonesty, or disrespect. I wasn't perfect at that. I'm giving you the best scenario. Okay, you understand that, right? All right. Denise could tell you. Don't be a hypocrite. Children and teens especially have highly sensitive hypocrite meters. They will smell you out. They will. They, I'll tell you, teens are way better at that than adults. Teens see hypocrites and they want to run from it. You want to frustrate your child? You want to exasperate them? Be a hypocrite. You expect your child to respect you, but if they hear you disrespecting your spouse, you are causing them to run away from you and run away from the Lord. Get yourself right with the Lord. Be a man and a woman of integrity and then let your children follow you for that. Say yes to as much as you can so that when you say no, they know you mean it. And be willing to talk through your decisions honestly with your teens. I've got a quick story for you. Uh, I was a new believer at around 14 years old. I was not raised in a Christian home, no Christian values, those kinds of things. Uh, I started to date a girl who was a believer but raised in a Christian home, and I invited her to a movie, and she said, I'm not allowed to go to movies. What? I never heard of such a thing. Why wouldn't you be allowed to go to movies? My parents never let us go to movies. They think they're evil. Well, I was going to take care of that problem, so I went and talked to her dad. And he was very open to me talking to him, surprisingly. And uh, I was like, we're going to go see a movie. It's called In Search of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's in the movie theater. And he's like, well, I don't like the idea. And he told me why. And I listened. And I understood. And he ended the conversation and said, I'll think about it. And I'll talk to my wife about it. We'll let you know. A week later, he came back to me and he said, we're going to let you go to the movie with my daughter. Why? I said, you... That was a principle you were standing on. And he said, because a long time ago, I decided I would say yes to as many things as I can so that when I say no, they know I mean it. How frustrating it is to a child when we say no to this and that. And I have to admit, there were many times I just said no to things because it was more convenient for me. What, you want somebody over? No, I can't deal with that tonight. What, you want to go play in the pool? I I don't have the time to watch you right now. I I want to sit here and do what I'm doing. Say yes to what you can so that when you say no, your kids are responsive to you. The ironic thing about that is we went to see the movie. That movie, In Search of Jesus Christ, was a Mormon movie and was so full of heresy that (laughs) I can't tell you all the wrong stuff they taught in that movie. Very funny. All right, we have to quickly end here. The the next section is talking about slavery and how slaves are to obey their masters and how masters are to treat their slaves. The question we have to address is why on earth isn't Paul saying, slaves, get out of there. Masters, let your slaves go. go. Slavery is wrong. We all know slavery is wrong. But Paul is not writing a treatise on social reform here. He's saying, in whatever situation you're in, if you want to fit under the umbrella of giving praise to God and doing everything in Jesus' name, then slaves, while you are a slave, obey your master. Obey him because the Lord is your master more than he is. And masters, treat your slaves with respect, remembering that you actually have a master in heaven, being God. And so uh, what I do want to say here, though, is 
is because this, this often is used as a criticism of the Bible and criticism of God, that somehow God is in favor of slavery. He is not, I assure you. Just so you know, when the book of Colossians was delivered, hand-delivered from the Apostle Paul, it was delivered through a couple of men. One of those men was Onesimus. Onesimus was a runaway slave. He ran away from a man named Philemon. That's one of the books in your Bible. Well, while Paul is sending the book of Colossians, he also sends a letter to Philemon. And in that book, he says, hey, Philemon, hey, brother Philemon, Christian Philemon, your slave Onesimus ran away from you. And guess what? While he ran away from you, he met me, and he became a believer. I'm sending him back to you, and listen to what he says. He says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave. Wait, is Paul endorsing slavery? No. He's saying, Christian brother, get rid of your slaves. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Onesimus, your slave, can now be your brother and not be your slave. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So don't ever let anybody tell you that the Bible is wrong because it endorses slavery. It does not. It acknowledges slavery. It does not endorse it. All right. Well, we're going to leave it at that. I wanted to go through here. I'm going to do it. We're going to apply this. We don't have slaves and masters here, but can I make the the very obvious application here? I'm going to change a few words. Instead of slaves, employees, obey your earthly supervisors in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for your earthly supervisors. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, instead of a paycheck, you're going to get a heavenly reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Employers, bosses, supervisors, provide your workers with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let's wrap this up now. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Regardless of your position, there's an order to follow. And you will best demonstrate how good God is when you line up with his order. Now, the greatest demand, though, is on those with the greatest authority. So husbands, parents, supervisors, employers, you bear the greatest responsibility in this. The call to you is to create an environment and an atmosphere in which those under you would want to follow your lead, in which they would say, it's safe. I'm safe under his or her leadership You need to create an environment where they understand that you are following Christ and they would be willing to follow you. You also need to understand the pull in every one of us to overexert our authority 
and to, uh, that, that pull to abuse those under us. But our calling is to be like Christ who gave himself up and serves all of those under him. For those who are under authority, whether women who willingly put themselves under there or children or employees, your call is to line up under that authority, not to put up with abuse. That's not what the call is here. Hear me, ladies, hear me. But when you follow your leader, you are showing the world that you follow Christ. You actually honor Christ. The way you follow the Lord is how you follow the person in authority over you. Now I know this is, this is uh, it's hard. We all live in homes and homes are difficult places. We're gonna close together. We're gonna stand and we'll close together. And after I close, if you want to come and pray about your home or about your work situation or whatever, please come forward. There are elders here, deacons here, who would be willing to come and pray with you and just help you. So let's stand together now.